You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Stop working for what you already have. Stop working for what has already been given to you. Believe by faith and move into this glorious abundant life that Christ had died for you to have. We come to remember what was accomplished on the cross. We come to remember him who gave his life for us. We come to remember him that by believing in him, we can have oneness with him and the Father. There is nothing that you are going through today that Jesus did not feel at one time or the other. Every other religion and many false doctrine churches that may call themselves Christian teach that by works we are worthy to go to heaven, that doing enough good will grant you eternity, and this is not true. Today, Pastor Dave shares what Jesus' death on the cross truly means for us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Ultimate Battle Cry. You are After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Jesus' entire life and entire ministry pointed to this day. A predetermined time, a predetermined day that was determined by God the Father before the foundations of the world, it all boiled down to this time. Jesus now knew that the great work that he was sent to do, the great work that the Father had called upon him to do, had been completed. He had accomplished the work that the Father had sent him to do. Remember when he prayed in John 17, just a couple chapters ago? When he prayed in verse 4, he said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus knew the work was done. It was complete. Remember, he told the disciples, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the will of the Father. I didn't come on my own behalf. I came on his behalf. I represent him. This was the Father's will. And as Jesus hung on that cross, He took the punishment upon himself that I deserve, that you deserve. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly the results of what he was doing. And when he accomplished all things, when everything was done, when everything was complete, then he thought of himself. But until that time, he hadn't thought about himself. He thought about everybody else. He thought about the world. Forgive them. He thought about the criminal next to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He thought about his mother. He took the sin of the world upon himself. And then, and then at that time, he says, I thirst. I thirst. Look at verse 28b. I'll read the whole verse. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Even in his darkest hour, even in his extreme pain that he was experiencing, he continued to fulfill Scripture. He continued to fulfill those things that were spoken about him. 
With one word, with one word, Jesus could have commanded cascades of water to fall from heaven. He could have commanded cascades of water to come down upon them standing there. But instead, he asked. Jesus never used a miracle for himself. Jesus never used a miracle for his benefit. It was always to benefit someone else and to give God glory. He never thought of himself. Surprisingly, they honored his request. Surprisingly, they honored his request. Look at verse 29. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. It's interesting. They did this so that scripture could be fulfilled. You can look at Psalm 69, verse 21. Psalm 69, verse 21. Says, and he also and he also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 21. Notice one thing that's peculiar about this verse that struck me. What did they dip? What did they use to dip into the wine? A sponge. And what did they put the sponge on? Hyssop. It's important. Because in Exodus, during the Passover, when they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they spread it with hyssop. They spread it with hyssop. Hyssop is a plant of some sort. A plant like a bush or something like that. They spread it with hyssop. And you can find that in Exodus 12, 22. Now, Do not confuse this drink that Jesus is now taking to the one that was mentioned in Luke 27.34. In Luke 27.34, it was a mixture of vinegar and myrrh. Why? It was a numbing thing. And they offered it to Jesus to drink, and he refused to drink it. It was used to numb the victim's pain. When Jesus tasted it, he said, I don't want it. He didn't want any drug to even begin to deaden the pain that he was going to feel. He wanted no drug or alcohol to climb his, cloud his mind to the task which was at hand. He was determined to be in full control and to be as conscious as possible to the very end. This should not surprise us. Everything, like I said, everything Jesus did was for our benefit and God's glory. And even in his extreme suffering, it's a strong reminder of his ability and willingness to sympathize with your needs. Talk a little bit about that later. It was Jesus who willingly bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was the man of sorrows that Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 53. He was that man. This is what Guzik says about this, quote, We can connect all things that are now accomplished with the words, I thirst. When Jesus said, I thirst, the worst was over. The price had been paid, and he was ready to announce it. When the sinner says, I thirst, the worst is over, because if they bring their thirsty soul to Jesus, he satisfies them, unquote. If anyone comes and drinks of me, if anybody be thirsty, let him come. And now we come to the verse that I call the ultimate battle cry. I believe it's the most powerful verse in the Bible. 
I believe it's the most parable verse of the Bible. What is a battle cry? A battle cry is simply a word or a phrase that is used by soldiers going into battle that expresses solidarity and to intimidate the enemy. Battle cries are meant to stir up the hearts of the soldiers, to inspire them, to remind them what they're fighting for, their homes, their families, their freedom, their people, and their glory. And I searched all through, all through various places to look for various battle cries. And there's some that stand out to me. You remember the Alamo if you're a Texan. If you were alive during World War II, you remember Pearl Harbor. You might even remember what the Japanese said when they were bombing Pearl Harbor. Torah, Torah, Torah. You might remember that. And who could forget September 11th, 2001, when Tom Bieber said, let's roll. It's a battle cry. Let's roll. The words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago or more, as he hung on that cruel Roman cross, became the greatest and most far-reaching battle cry ever heard. And I believe in all my heart that they are just as great today and just as far-reaching. Let's look at verse 30a. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. I love what this commentator wrote, quote, These words not only rang in the ears of those who stood close to the cross, but also throughout the kingdom of both heaven and hell. In the presence of the Father, the words, It is finished, were a victory cry as the new covenant and relationship with God was made possible through what Jesus had accomplished on the cross, unquote. Very interesting here. Very interesting word. Tetelatestai. It is finished in the Greek. It's paid. It's done. It's complete. It's perfect. Little interesting fact about this word. I think, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and everything is connected. And you have to remember that. Every time they would take a lamb to be sacrificed, every time they would take it in there, it had to be inspected. It had to be looked at to make sure that it was pure without blemish and the one that was going to be used for the sacrifice. Guess what word they used to approve the lamb? Teletestai. That's the word they used. Is it any coincidence that Jesus would yell those very words? The one pure, true sacrifice has finished the work that he was called to do. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When those who hung around the cross heard those words, they thought it was words of defeat. They thought it was words of defeat. They had thought, the end has come. It's now over. Victory is ours. We got them. Imagine what happened in the disciples' hearts when that happened. Their dreams were shattered. They thought it was over too. Their hopes were destroyed. They thought that it was over for us. What are we going to do now? We thought he was going to rebuild the kingdom. We thought he was going to restore the kingdom. We thought he was going to rule and reign forever. We had hoped that he was the one. What's going on? They were all wrong, weren't they? These words coming from the cross that day were not words of defeat, but they were words of victory. The battle had been fought. The battle had been won. The battle was over, and Jesus had been victorious. It is finished. What a glorious battle cry. Settle it in your heart that it is over and it is done. It was a decisive blow to the devil. It was a decisive blow to him when Jesus spoke these words to victory. Take a moment, if you want to, and turn to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about this, 13 through 17. 
The Apostle Paul writes, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Cross of Jesus Christ spoiled the enemy's plan. The cross of Jesus Christ took his weapons away. The requirements of the law were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The requirements of the law no longer counted. Righteousness by faith and faith in Jesus Christ alone. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He died in our place. And now he offers liberty to the captives and opens the doors for freedom. And we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Instead of getting rid of Jesus, Satan's fate was sealed on the cross. Satan thought he had a great victory. Satan thought he had a great victory. I got rid of him. But his power to control and destroy man and to keep him from fellowshipping with God was over. It is finished. He had been defeated. So what does all this have to concern us? What what we can glean from this? Well, for one thing, the end of our guilt and sin that accompanied it. It means that the end of the work, the striving for God, we no longer have to strive to get to God. It's not based on what you can do. It's based on what he did. We don't have to strive. We don't have to do these good works that we can collect up and write down. There is no good work that you can do to redeem yourself from your sin and your guilt. The work of redemption is finished. All we can do to be redeemed and restored by the, from the power of sin is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we make it it's so easy, but we make it so hard. Remember when they asked Jesus, what must, must we do to do the works of God? Believe upon him whom he sent. That's all he said. Believe upon him whom he sent. Told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking eternal life? He said, Jesus said to him, if you would be complete to sell all that you have and distribute money to your poor, follow me. The command to sell all that he had, Jesus was saying, forsake all the other gods and follow me. Forsake everything and follow me. What's holding you back? What's in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus completely? The work of redemption is done. It's complete. It's finished. It was done on the cross. As I said, it's so simple, a child can do it. In fact, we're supposed to come with childlike faith. We're supposed to come like a child and believe. But it's so complex that even the wisest of men cannot fully comprehend the length the depth and the height of God's love that prompted this glorious plan of redemption. The price of redemption of the world is now paid. And anyone who desires to know God and to be restored into his image, there's a way open now, a powerful advantage now. It's available. All the work the Father had given Jesus, he had finished it. It is finished. And when we hear that cry, it should inspire us. That battle cry should inspire us like all battle cries. When you hear, remember the Alamo, you probably think of someplace in Texas, or maybe you think of John Wayne. I don't know. But you think of someplace there. 
When you hear the words, it is finished, you should think of the cross and what accomplished there, what would happen there. The great victory that was won there and the great defeat that he put on the enemy's head. It should stir up in your heart to want to know him more, to have him more in your life, to become more like him. You want to serve him gladly and you want to ever be thankful for what he did. We're no longer under the power and the curse of sin, the power that once ruled our lives, and may I add, broke our lives in two. Power that made us failures. Apostle Paul said sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. The day of bondage of sin is gone. It's finished. It's over. Jesus of triumph, and he finished. And the barriers, all those barriers that kept you from God, guess what? They're not there anymore. They're not there anymore. There are no barriers between you and him. Why? Because in Matthew's gospel, It says that at this very time when Jesus yelled, it is finished, the veil in the temple was rent. Means it was ripped in two from top to bottom. This wasn't some sheer flimsy little curtain. Some people think this thing might have been as thick as 36 inches. This was a master woven thing. And it kept the Holy of Holies separate from the holy place and the rest of the temple. And the priest could go only go in there once a year. And he had to have blood on him when he went in there because he had to have a sacrifice for himself first. And he had to go in there. And he met with God between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But when that veil was torn, it symbolizes access. We now have access to God. We now have access to God the Father through what Jesus did on the cross. The veil was torn. God saying, it's no longer needed. I don't need this place. You can come directly to me. You can come directly into the throne room of grace and pray and ask and request. The sin that separates us from God has been taken away. God now takes up residence in your heart. No other religion teaches this. No other religion teaches this. Every other religion says that you have to do something to get to God. You have to earn your way to get to God, not Christianity. Christianity doesn't have to do what you have to do with what Jesus already did, already did, what he accomplished. Can't do anything right with God or get closer to God except to realize what has already been accomplished. It is finished. And as we finish today's verses, it says, and bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Interesting that Guzik writes, quote, no one took Jesus's life from him. He, in a manner unlike any man, gave up his spirit. Death had no righteous hold over the sinless son of God. He stood in the place of sinners, but he was never a sinner himself. So he could not die unless he gave up the spirit, unquote. In the other gospel accounts, they record these words, into your hands I commit my spirit. Once again, Jesus fulfills scripture, even in his dying words. He fulfills scripture, Psalm 31, 5. Notice that Jesus committed himself into the Father's hand. It is finished. Everything we have, we have by faith in what was accomplished on the cross. By faith, we have everything. My prayer for you today is that you would settle it in your heart. Stop working for what you already have. Stop working for what has already been given to you. Believe by faith and move into this glorious, abundant life that Christ has died for you to have. 
We come to remember what was accomplished on the cross. We come to remember him who gave his life for us. We come to remember him that by believing in him, we can have oneness with him and the Father. There is nothing that you are going through today that Jesus did not feel at one time or the other. You can't name one thing that you felt that you're going through today that he didn't feel. Loneliness, pain, sorrows, even grief. Jesus understands. He knows because he felt all these same things. Maybe your closest friends have turned away from you. They might have even deserted you or abandoned you. Jesus will never leave nor forsake you. He knows what it's like. His friends left him. Only John was there. He knows what it's like. You have pain this morning? Are you in pain? Jesus has felt your pain, and he has felt his own pain. He understands it. Imagine how his body was racked with pain. Whatever you're going through right now, there is a God who understands. You may think he doesn't understand, but he truly does because he's been there. No matter what your need is, no matter what your difficulty, you can be sure that Jesus understands it. He sees it. He knows it. And no matter what you're going through, you can be certain that you have his full attention. No matter how difficult the road ahead looks, no matter what dilemma you're facing today, you can be sure that Jesus cares. He spent six long hours on a cross Prove to you that he cares. Endured hardships that many of us will never have to face. Can't even imagine what he faced. Whatever your pain, whatever your trouble, know that Jesus is right beside you, walking through there with you. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. The Apostle Peter knew this more than anybody. The apostle Peter understood this, who failed Jesus miserably, who was always bumbling around, sticking his foot in his mouth. And when he had other room, he stuck his other foot in his mouth. He constantly knew these things. He knew it by experience. And and he writes in his, his epistle, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Give him what cares you today. Give him what concerns you today because he cares that much for you in a way no one else can. In a way, no one else will ever care for you that way. It's finished, folks. It's done. You need to settle it in your heart. You need to settle it in your heart. It is all complete. You need to be healed. By his stripes, we've been healed. What do you need from him? He's done it. It's finished. You now, by faith, have to accept it and believe it and trust in it and walk boldly in it. That's your call. That's your call, not minimizing your pain, not minimizing your hurt, not minimizing anything you're going through. I'm just trying to tell you that he has been there and he's done that. Has the nail scars to prove it. He's been there. You are. 
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.